open that with the Scores and Pours wine key. Free with your $10 patronage each month to Scores and Pours. Before we even get started today, we've had people ask us some pretty awesome questions over the gram. We thank you for those uh, of you that have, you know, sent us some pretty cool questions that have ended up becoming like a show idea or something. Yeah. We wanted to invite all of you to keep doing that. So feel free to DM us with questions. We are going to start, you know, posting once in a while a little story, a little of this with a specific button that I'm going to learn to use <laughs> that says ask us a question and do that because we'll we'll form a couple awesome shows around your questions which you can find us at scores and pours happy solstice happy summer ms emily reese Happy solstice and summer to you. I didn't realize that it was the solstice, but then saying the date out loud, I re- of course it is. When we, we always air our episodes, well, usually about a month, give or take, after we record them, so that will come late to all of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but happy summer nonetheless, because it's beautiful here in Minneapolis. And with all the warm weather, we're like, man, let's give the peeps some summertime wine. Let's give the peeps some summertime jazz. Totally. I love listening to certain artists in the summer. You know, I think certain artists I kind of am drawn to when it's colder and vice versa. And in the summertime, I really love me some uh, trumpeter Blue Mitchell. So we're going to hear some funky ass Blue Mitchell. Nice. Coming up in a little bit. How about you? I am adverse to seasonal drinking. Yeah. For the most part. But as don't you, you know, think that it kind of happens sort it, it of? Totally, yeah. yeah, it totally does. And I mean, just the other day, you and I were talking about a wine for our patron-only content. For those of you who are patrons, you already know. For those of you who want to support Scores and Pours and love listening to us, you can do that on patreon.com slash scores and pours. And we have patron-only content that we offer all tiers some t- tiers, you even get some free merch, but that includes like wine pairing, recipe pairing, and we'll throw some music in there too to listen to while you're cooking and enjoying your food. So Emily and I were getting a recipe together for our patron-only content, and I was like, you know, it was 95 degrees or something. I was like, you know, I'm not really feeling a red. Okay, guilty. Yeah. Guilty as charged, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I just said I am not really a seasonal drinker, but I would say for the most part. Like, yeah. But I understand... Most humans are. People want rosé in the springtime and summer, and they want red in the winter. They yeah. want scotch in the winter, and they want gin in the summer. Or a pina colada in the summer, maybe not on Christmas Day. Truth. I want rum all year, but I don't. I right. leave, let it be a summer thing, but gin to me is, gin is all year. Yeah, So definitely. I am going to talk about today... Not only orange wine, which we've talked on the show, yes. we've talked about it before, but I'm going to talk about light orange wine. Not mm. con- not to be confused with diet orange wine. It's not diet anything. And light. I mean, some oh, people yeah. hear light and they're like, light beer, oh. light orange wine. They might be like, is yeah. it the 100 calorie version? <laughs> the no. L-I-T-E version? <laughs> yeah, it is not the ultra version. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm going to be talking okay. about orange wines with a little less skin contact and some fun ones to drink. Great. Well, let's start off with some Blue Mitchell. Love that. Wait, can I ask you, do you have a favorite? Because you're going to tell us about some favorite like summertime jazz, obviously. Yeah. What about favorite summertime 
drinks. Ms. Emily Reese, radio hosts, jazz, and classical music extraordinaire. I didn't even realize we didn't do that, Jill Mott, sommelier, person who knows all the things about anything with alcohol in it or that's fermented. It's true. Thanks for throwing that out there because coffee yeah. is a, a dear friend of mine. Bread. No alcohol, but it is fermented. Yes, true. Yeah. Truth. Like pickled things. You like all the fermented things. Oh my God, do I ever. Yeah. You're right. So that said, what? give me a couple of your favorite summertime drinks or spirits or something. Well, I mentioned one, which is the pina colada. That is a delicious and refreshing choice for hot weather. It's so sweet and good. I'm not usually a sweet person. Well, I person, think the, but... the way that you and I make them, because we've made them on the show before. Oh, yeah. Like... We make them less sweet. You know, we dial back a little bit on the Coco Lopez, yeah. which is a cream of coconut, yeah. not to be confused with creme de coco, but look up the difference because this show isn't about that. <laughs> and we dial back a little bit on the pineapple. So we, yeah. you know, it ends up being ours is a little less sweet, but it little is an rum adult. rum forward. <laughs> yes, and always putting a rum float on top. It's sort of like a, it's an adult smoothie, let's be honest, but we don't even blend it up because why go that far? Yeah, no, I'm I'm not huge into like... Slushies. Slushy type or frozen this or that. I do love, and this is something we've never explored together, but margarita, I love, because I love the tangy acid uh, that a margarita has and the like real lime, like... But I would say above and beyond any of those, because I can see your face when I said margarita. Well, I just, I just think margaritas <laughs> are delicious, but you love daiquiris, just yeah. sub tequila. Yeah. That's a, you know. Well, there you go. Yeah. But sounds I would like say- a, I sound, It sounds like we have a post-scores and pours research project <laughs> to do. <laughs> I think two things above and beyond anything in the summertime that I love is to go to a brewery and get a good brew, a nice light Kolsch, light Pilsner, something that's not huge in heavy alcohol, uh, or- I love me a gin and tonic in the summer because I think it is one of the most refreshing cocktails on the planet. So there. Love all of those decisions. Yeah. This is why you and I can drink together. I know, I just listed like 13 things. It's like, and what's your favorite drink? Which is, well, which is why we can drink together, yeah. Emily Reese. <laughs> How about yours? Um, I, I don't know if I... Mine is just whatever I'm in, the, whatever's interesting and new to me, you know? Yeah. I mean, I love a three-rum daiquiri, yeah. but then I, I don't want it like day in and day out out like I want it if the rums were different yeah or if it's like key limes instead of regular limes or is it raw sugar simple syrup instead of honey simple syrup then I'd be into having one every couple days but I tend to like because I only buy a couple bottles of rum at a time yeah I want to like mix up the cocktail so that I'm learning something right Mm -hmm. boring Jill I know (laughs) but don't worry because there are plenty more things to drink, like <laughs> you just suggested. I love a gin and tonic. I do love uh, orange wine, roses, mezcal, <laughs> IPAs, light beers, hazies. heavy beers, hazies. Sours, saisons, farmhouse. Saisons. Oh, I love a saison. Yeah. Yes, a farmhouse. Mm. So mm-hmm. pretty much like you, which is why we do this show, pretty much so we can drink all the time. <laughs> exactly. Just kidding. That's about right. <laughs> All right, well, Trumpet time? Yeah, let's, let's Blue Mitchell, and let's wait to open some wine. Blue Mitchell, born in Miami, as we like to call it here at Scores and Pours, even though it's Miami. We do call it Miami. 
he was born there in 1930, and he lived until 1979. He died um, a little young from cancer, sadly. Uh, but he recorded tons of albums on his own, but also tons of albums with other people. So you can find Blue Mitchell pretty much from the early 60s, in, well into the late 50s, early 60s, into the late 70s, right before he died. And, you know, if you're aware of how music was developing around the world in that time... So once we get into the late 60s, there's a lot more funk influence and rock, maybe even a little disco influence, kind of that shows up in Blue Mitchell's music. So, and we'll listen to some of that late Blue Mitchell shortly, but first let's start with some earlier stuff. And this is from an album from 1966 called Down With It. And as with almost any jazz album, there are many reasons to like it. Uh, course is Blue Mitchell. Uh, the first track is what we're going to hear. It's called High Heel Sneakers. And it's got the late, great Chick Corea on piano. Uh, Junior Cook is the tenor player. And in any event, here's High Heel Sneakers from Blue Mitchell. You'll hear right away why uh, it's just funky in summer. The first thing I think of is you have your windows down, you pull up to a stoplight, <laughs> and you always I always look over if I hear someone's got good music. Yeah. I would for sure look over, and I would give someone the thumbs up, and I'd probably do the little bit of the heart pump and <laughs> yeah. point to them if they had this on. It's so good for summer. wonder with jazz how it they get you know the names for them and yeah when I think of high heel sneakers I think of Chuck Taylor's first of all yep and I think of them being like a high heel version and then I think of a drag queen trying to sport <laughs> it somehow and I just can't decide if it <laughs> totally works or totally does not yeah this is a tune this is a cover so it's this is not one written by Blue Mitchell this is a tune that Tommy Tucker made famous a few years earlier it's just a great, funky, fantastic tune. Let's hear Blue's solo. Yeah. So this, obviously the solo, but all of the playing sounds anything but blue. Why Blue Mitchell? Or what, what's his real name? Because his name isn't Blue. Right, yeah. His name is Richard Allen Mitchell. Okay. But he got the nickname when he was in high school, I think. Okay. So. I was just curious. Yeah. 
so good. What a tasty song. So great. Thanks for that. Yeah, we'll hear some more in a minute. Okay, well, I'm going up to a very tasty part of Greece with my discussion. Ooh. As long as grape varietals have been separated, meaning not a field blend of white and red grapes, which oh. is the oldest style of making wine, we're, now we'll say separating red and white grapes from each other, which we don't really know when that happened. There's a lot of theories that it happened around the time of the Egyptians, the time of the Romans, and then even closer to our time period here, um, or now I should say. People have been making orange wine, right? When people were making red and white wine, whether it was the Egyptians or whether they were the Romans, they weren't not macerating skins with juice, right? Because by macerating the skins, you're getting a ton of flavor, but you're also getting a lot of antioxidants and a lot of reasons why you your wine wouldn't spoil, right? And back then they didn't really know why, it was just like how people did things. And so fast forward, since anyone that is alive now has been drinking wine, a lot of white wine is separated from the skins to get like a really crisp and clean, say, Pinot Grigio or Sauvignon Blanc. Neat. And we know that that's been happening all through the 2000s, through a lot of the 1900s, and even the 1800s. So orange wine now is coming back into fashion. But before it wasn't fashion, it was function, right? Now it's yeah. fashion. Yeah. And you get, when by macerating your white skins with your white juice and wine, you get, depending on how long you're macerating, you get a lot more flavor and a lot more texture. And you get a lot more aromatics, polyphenols, right? And so people that make orange wine, you can still sulfur the shit out of it if you want. But depending on how healthy your fruit is and what else you're doing in the process, the need to add sulfur is perhaps a little less Hmm. depending on what you're doing, right? That's a very blanket statement, but just kind of take it for what it's worth. It's a possibility. Yeah. Now, I don't want to say the trend is, but when orange wines kind of first became a thing, you know, written about in Bon Appetit and GQ magazine and the like, Savour, you know, people are having orange wines that are quite, have a quite a bit of flavor, quite tannic, you know, and they were sometimes kind of obtuse version, beautiful, fun, but a little bit like intense, right? And now you have the gamut of skin contact time periods, anywhere from just overnight, just really brief, all the way up to six months plus. Now you may think, wow, six months, that's got to be really tannic compared to two hours. You're right, but maybe three weeks, four weeks can sometimes render a wine undrinkable at that period. So what happens is you skins, as you macerate them with the juice, and after a few weeks or months, depending on how long, you're going to be macerating with wine because that juice has changed over, fermented into wine, right? You're going to have tannins come and go. Hmm. And color comes and goes. I remember the first time I had tasted Georgian wine out of Quevery, and you know, a lot of parts of Georgia, especially Eastern Georgia, they have like six months of skin contact as like sort of the recipe way of making wine. And they pulled it out of the quivery and it was freaking gray. And oh, I was wow. like, ooh, is this like two years on the skins? And they were like, no, this is, I can't remember off the top of my head. It was something like three months or two months or something. And they said, oh, don't worry. It'll get amber. It'll clear up. And the, I, it was like undrinkable. It was so tannic. <laughs> so tannins come and go and color comes and goes. And so it's finding that right balance for what the winemaker wants to do. In this case, I brought a Greek wine 
from a very respectable grape varietal that is made unlike any other I've had like this. Well, <laughs> almost any other I've had like this, especially from Greece, and is uh, only has 48 hours of skin contact, which is why it is a light orange wine. Very <laughs> easy drinking. If you had never had orange wine, it's a great entry level to that. Do you want to taste it? Yes, please. Okay. Are you sure you don't want 13 other beverages along with this? <laughs> well, let's start with the wine. Okay, perfect. So a quick aside, my sister, who I get to see once a year, twice a year if I'm lucky, whenever we're around each other and someone cracks open a beer, she's like, oh my God, that's the best sound I've ever heard ever. <laughs> I would argue that this is the best sound I've ever heard. Preferably the longer it lasts, the better. Two scores and pours. Two scores and pours. So this color here, you'd, if you looked at this, I think some people would either think it was a, verging on a sweet wine. Yeah. So it's kind of a, got a golden, a light golden color, mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely a dry wine. And then, I don't know, they'd, they'd maybe guess that the skin contact was quite a bit longer than 48 hours. Yeah. Are there bubbles in here? Not in mine. Whoa. Unexpected. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Smells like wet clay. Even though yeah. this is not done in clay, this is done in stainless steel. Yeah, like it's like earthy, kind of smells earthy. Mm -hmm. And it smells to me like if pears had been poached, like on the stovetop, you're making like a, a syrup out of them and the fresh fruit aroma that becomes mm -hmm. kind of cooked or stewed a little bit. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Some people think, oh, that means it's really hot in this area. It actually isn't. We'll talk about this region in Greece and why it definitely isn't super hot in a, in a moment, but it kind of has a little bit of that poached pear smell. It's like hits you with acid right away. Oh, yeah. And it's really tart, but in a tame tart way. Yeah, and do you notice how it's accompanied by a little bit of roundness mm -hmm. on the mid-palate? And we'll talk about why that is really fun and really important and a really smart choice by the winemaker to allow that to happen. What do you think about the tannin level? Like the way that dries out your gums a little bit, you know? Because that comes with the skin contact, of course. I think it's pretty light, pretty low tannin. Like a three, maybe? Two even? Out of ten, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty low, but it's definitely present. Oh, yeah. Um, so now if you had a white wine that had a month of skin contact, or you, know, you could potentially have quite a bit more tannin, and then if you go over to six months, maybe you'd have a little bit closer to this. It's just, it's just interesting how it teeters back and forth. Yeah. I love it. I think it's really delicious. So good, so refreshing. This would be so amazing, like outside picnic time or in a park or... Just chilling in the backyard with a book or, uh, yeah. I want to listen to some more Blue Mitchell. Yeah, let's listen to some Blue Mitchell. Let's listen to a tune called, and this is like, it depends on what you say. Do you call the plural of fungus, how do you say the plural of fungus? Fungi. You say fungi? Mm-hmm. All right, here's a tune called- or fungi, depending on where you're from. Because I've heard fungi as well. Oh. Maybe that's yeah. a British way? I could be so wrong. I don't know.
Well, it makes me want to dance, and it makes me want a pizzeria Lola fungi pizza. Yeah. Like mushroom pizza. Yes. Oh, sounds so good. Again, this album has Junior Cook on the tenor sax and Chick Corea. Little piano from Chick Corea. Junior, but let's skip ahead and uh, listen to blues solo. It's just telling you a story. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. Tasty. I think the song would be as tasty if it were called Funguses Mama. No. Because you can also say Funguses. Or Fungus Dad. Fungi Daddy. Oh. No. I like fungi, personally, myself. Cute. And I think it particularly sounds good with the taste we just experienced with the wine. Like, they both really go well together. Yes, they do. you kind of want to dance like you're not dancing sexy like in a samba or some sort of like latin you're just kind of dancing goofy you're just grooving you're just kind of like i'm kind of moving all over in my seat trying to make not- <laughs> a lot of noise so emily doesn't get mad at me because i bump my microphone all the time just like over here like it's great stuff so we'll hear from blue mitchell a little later in his career uh, when we uh, come back to come back to blue, cool. Well, before we come back to blue, let's go to a very beautiful place on a very blue sea, which is the region of drama 
It oh. sounds exactly like it's spelt, or drama, as they would say. Um, and we're in the northeastern part of Greece, so we're just south of the Bulgarian border. There's a mountain range there that separates this area from Bulgaria, and it actually protects uh, that region from a lot of really cold, kind of destructive weather that can come up over those mountains. And then just to the west, southwest, I guess, we have uh, Thessaloniki, which may not sound familiar to you, but if you've been around Greece, Thessaloniki is sort of like an Athens. It's a little bit like New York, Los Angeles, like it's a, a little bit bigger of a town that people know of. Okay. And then you have the Aegean Sea, which is part of the Mediterranean. The Aegean Sea that's to the south, which brings these really beautiful, like cool winds in the warm summer. And then in the cold winter, it brings like a little bit warmer air. So it keeps the area really moderate. And this is a project called, it looks like oenogenesis. It's inogenesis, which means like the beginnings of wine um, is the name. And this guy, his name is Bakis Tsalkos. He has been making wine for a freaking really long time. When you look at his the images of him online, he looks like a curmudgeon <laughs> in his 80s, but he's probably a bit yeah. younger than that. He's just been working in the fields a lot. Yeah. 2006, he comes back from working in Bordeaux, being trained in southern France. Yeah. He's worked, so all over southern France he's worked knows French winemaking and modern winemaking well and is like, screw this, hmm. I'm coming back home. And in 2006, settles in the drama area and starts making wine. Now, this area is really well known for, it does have some native varietals like Assyrtico and Roditis and others, of which he does work with a couple of those. But the area is really well known for its, inter, we call it international varietals like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc. And he came upon this area and was like, wow, this has a lot of similarities to Southern France. It's obviously very uniquely Greek, but like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this here and I'm going to do it in a way that's a lot more natural. He is doing all sustainable agriculture. There are no chemicals sprayed. He'll spray other things like organic sprays if he needs to because of in this area there is a bit of humidity and rot, but he's doing no chemical sprays on the vineyard, no irrigation, and this, my friend, is fricking Sauvignon Blanc <laughs> that is grown 18 miles from the sea Wow! and doesn't taste anything like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, no. nothing like California Sauvignon Blanc, or even Bordelais Sauvignon Blanc for that matter, which is really, really cool. Wow. Isn't it super far removed from those, like citrusy, kiwi? Yeah. yeah, everything about it, save maybe the acid, is very mild. Like, it's just like holding your hand lightly as opposed to a squeeze, you know what I mean? It's just like a gentle kiss of the, I mean, this is like so ridiculous, but that's what it's like. It's no, I'm, just like, I'm glad you said that because yeah. the reason why is, okay, so the 48 hours in the skins gives it this complexity, right? The, a little bit more of the phenolics and the aromatics. Secondly, Sauvignon Blanc inherently has a little bit of those citrusy qualities, right? And kiwi notes and a little bit of that tomato vine, but that's enhanced by using packeted yeast that brings those flavors and makes them more prevalent, right? Which is not natural way to do things. Mm -hmm. So he's doing all native yeast ferments. He's also allowing for malolactic conversion to happen, which we've mentioned on the show before, but just in case you haven't heard the 16 episodes that I've mentioned this, <laughs> it's when you take the green apple malic acid and you convert it naturally. 
You can add bacteria to make that happen, but he lets it happen naturally and converts that into a lactic acid. So a more kind of yogurty, you know, take that with a grain of salt as well. It's not quite that much, but it takes t really tart and harsh and makes it just a little bit softer and more palatable, we'll say. And so in this case, we have that that's happened at 100%. So that's crazy. That's one of the reasons why that roundish mid-palate I talked about is there. Yeah. Secondly, I think on the daily, he will stir the lees. And what that means is you, as the wine settles in a stainless steel tank over the course of days or months or weeks, little bits of sediment, like yeast, dead yeast cells, will precipitate out as they've done their work. And winemakers sometimes will choose to go and give that just a little gentle stir, and that will add a little extra creaminess hmm. that also will decrease the acidity just ever so slightly. I shouldn't say it won't decrease the acidity. It will make the acidity seem less because you've created a little bit of a rounder profile. Okay. Right? So in this case, he's done those things. He hasn't fined it. He hasn't filtered it. So he's taken out no smaller, no larger particles. And this is what we have, a naturally settled 2019 Sauvignon Blanc with just a very light, as you would say, a light kiss of kiss. skin contact. Just a little kiss. I mentioned previously that uh, the name of the wine is called Mataroa, and I wanted to tell people what that meant, so I'm going to read this verbatim from the bottle because I think it's special uh, that, that he included this. In December 1945, 150 young male and female scientists and artists embarked on Mataroa, which was a ship, not verbatim, now verbatim, <laughs> to escape the civil war of Greece, destined for Paris. This ignited part of the wave of the arts and sciences of post-war Europe. Mataroa Amber is the vehicle for a similar movement of our times. Amen. Beautiful. Isn't it just beautiful? Yes. I noticed when I poured this, there is a little bit of like just the smallest amount of, I don't want to say bubbles because that makes people think that it's effervescent and yeah. it's not, but you can see like the smallest amount of bubbles like floating around in there. And when Emily said, are there, there are bubbles in, in mine are there, and there weren't in mine, hmm. you know, it kind of depends on your glass and how you're holding your glass as well. But so my guess is he bottled this with the smallest amount of what's called trapped CO2, like the smallest amount of almost not residual sugar. We're not making a pet nat here. It's not sparkling, but that allows for someone to have to ha add less sulfur. CO2 is also a preservative. And so this, that could be a natural way that he wants to preserve the wine, which is just, mm, just making me real happy over here. <laughs> it's so good. You want to tell me a little bit more about Blue Mitchell's late period? Because Sounds like we're going to start talking about like Picasso's late period. So let's talk about some Blue Mitchell late period. We'll get there in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to talk about a uh, recording that he did with Horace Silver. Horace Silver was a pianist and Blue Mitchell recorded with Horace Silver seven times about. So they did a really great live show. And this was a partnership that I think was just really, really great. I think when Blue Mitchell played with Horace Silver, I think the tunes that Horace Silver wrote, and there are a lot of really famous tunes he wrote that became jazz standards, I think they just fit really well with the way Blue Mitchell played and soloed and stuff. And um, it's just 
Horace Silver was a great writer. So let's listen to a tune they did live at the Village Gate. It's called Filthy McNasty. And there's about a one minute or so intro of talking, so we're going to skip through that to get to the music. Okay. Well, we do a little thing we call Filthy McNasty. he said filthy McNasty, I would be like, I'll take two martinis, please. (laughs) (laughs) And let's skip to blues solo. So this is even earlier than those last couple albums we heard. This is I really like, you know, you hear Gene Taylor back there on the bass just slowly kind of doing his thing. Yeah. Horace is obviously just kind of doing the thing softly, and then you got Blue Mitchell on the keys, you know, and then you got Blue Mitchell just like just pumping it out to the crowd. Yeah. Yes. some late stuff? Yeah, please. Okay. This is from one of my favorite Blue Mitchell albums called Bantu Village. And uh, we'll hear the very first track, which is H-N-I-C. Much bigger ensemble, you know, a lot of players, there's a couple trumpeters, um, but you can hear that influence of the era, right? So this is 1969. Electric bass, for one thing, not upright bass. (laughs) 
even in the beginning when you hear the tr- the drums start, just all the reverb, like the rock reverb on the drums, yeah. you know, it sounds like they're in a big arena. It's still amazing though. And like Blue Mitchell's solo is so good on this track. I'd be curious why he named it Bantu, because that reminded me of something in Africa, something somewhere like Congo, or I, I don't really remember, honestly. So just quickly looking it up, they're Bantu peoples that speak a lot of Bantu languages. I'd be curious, you know, why he named it that, you know? It's just, I, I can only be in his head to ask him because I don't know if anybody even knows. But He didn't write most of this music. There were other composers that wrote and arranged a lot of these tracks, and there is a track called Bantu Village, so let's have a listen to it. Sure. That's just interesting as hell. At first I was like, wow, okay, we have these uh, these percussion instruments, right, that sound a little bit more, uh, you know, quote-unquote ethnic. And then we have flutes. And then all of a sudden we have someone strutting into the scene <laughs> with lots of money, a ruffled tux perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But we do know his name is Blue Mitchell. <laughs> and we do know that it's funky. Yeah. Yeah, so this is, you know, pretty indicative of a lot of these albums that you're going to hear yeah. around 1969 anyway. Yep. Some of them are tastier than others. Some aren't very well recorded. Some have been remastered. You know, so there's just so much out there. But Blue Mitchell... Wow, that was tasty. That is tasty. Hell yeah. And so is the earlier stuff too. It's just as good. It's just different. Um, there's like a little less strut and a little bit more. It's I don't want to say. Different kind of strut because there's definitely thank you. strut. Yeah, in that's that very stuff. true. Very true. And as much as I could go on and like talk about maybe a, just a touch more in depth about other things to drink for summer, I don't know. Have fun, of course. Enjoy things. Enjoy family this summer in a way and friends that we couldn't last summer Um, but also pay attention to what you're drinking and you know if you have a cool wine shop around town we got this at at Henry and Son here in Minneapolis but plenty of wine shops in the Midwest have have a couple orange wines around if you ask for a orange wine with not a lot of skin contact your your local wine shop should be able to find you something really fun and tasty and beautiful 
And man, if it can be from a far-flung place like this small area called Drama, well, then you're even more in luck. To summertime. To scores and pours. Scores and pours. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scores and Pours. You can find a playlist, a wine list, ways to buy merch, ways to support us financially, all at patreon.com slash scoresandpours. We couldn't do this without our existing patrons, so we want to thank you for those of you who are have already gone on to patreon.com slash scoresandpours and clicked on tiers. Ever grateful. We need your support now more than ever. We are also on Instagram at Scores and Pours, and that's a great place to DM us. That's a great place to, you know, if you have any show ideas or questions for us, go on the gram. Edited by Jill Mott and Emily Reese, our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media Inc. June Media Inc.